You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And welcome to the prologue. My name is Doug Dahlgren. Now, I'm a writer myself. My books are available to you on Amazon, in Kindle, or in paperback. Or, of course, you could email me, Doug, at DougDahlgren.com, and we can talk about you getting an autographed copy if you're so interested in that. Now, if you'll stick around with me this morning and allow me, I'm going to be your host for about the next hour, and hopefully you're going to have a good time. The purpose of this program is to offer you a prologue or an introduction to an author or a book you may not have heard of before. Now, as we begin this morning, please join me in recognizing and welcoming the brave men and women of our armed forces around the world and the first responders who are here back at home. We want to thank each and every one of you for what you do, and we thank you for being listeners on America's Web Radio. Today we have an author who started as a teacher and a storyteller. Her life was literally turned upside down some 29 years ago, but it did little to slow her down. The author's Fiona Page in her memoir is My Nightlife is 24-7. And this is your prologue. A well-loved and successful school teacher, a respected storyteller who, in August of 1987, became the winner of the prestigious Krista McAuliffe Fellowship. Now, if you're not aware of it, that's an annual fellowship awarded to outstanding public and private elementary and secondary school teachers to continue their education and to develop innovative programs for students. A winner who then, at the very next month of that same year, this author went through a life-changing event, an event that would bring many of us to our knees, but it did not stop this author. It didn't even slow her down. In her drive and desire to teach, encourage, and motivate people, she not only went on with her life, but she continued to win awards and write books. Again, The book we're here to talk about is My Life, My Nightlife is 24-7. Please welcome to the show its author, Fiona Page. How are you, ma'am? Good morning. I'm glad to be with you. Well, we're grateful to have you with us today. Uh, I understand you're down in South Georgia. Is that right? That's right. It's nice and muggy here. Nice and muggy in Blackshire, Georgia. That's just below... (laughs) Uh, an area, I have some family that, that lives down in that area, just below Baxley, Georgia. So it's good to be oh, well. talking down there to South Georgia. Now, the, the Krista McAuliffe... Sorry. No, what was that? So, go ahead. I said, I'm near the coast and enjoying the warmth. Oh, excellent. Very good. Yeah, we're going to have some cooler weather. Um, the Krista McAuliffe Award, we mentioned that. That's a fellowship, and it's quite an honor and a platform to work from. Uh, you were one of the very first recipients of that award. Tell us about it, a little bit more about it, and what it meant to you to find out that you had won this award. I was fortunate to be in the right place at the right time, and I wrote the grant and was amazed that they chose me as Georgia's first recipient. I was the um, recipient of twenty-five thousand dollars. And what it meant to me was it was an opportunity to relive what had been my passion for about five years, 
I realized in teaching in teaching school that students needed to learn how to pay attention, and that's so difficult in an era of television and computers, and and so a teacher has to be a lot more innovative. And I developed a storytelling class because I wanted to teach young people to speak on their feet and to learn to be assertive in their future endeavors. And I wanted to help teachers see how being lively and interesting and curious about the world and showing young people how to do this by their own uh, modeling of that behavior would uh, um, make education or learning a lot more fun. And, you know, the funny thing, I have to tell you, Doug, the funny thing about it is it brings to mind a vision. I am very visionary and uh, have a lot of an imagination, a lot of imagination. What I learned was through a minister. I was sitting on the same piano bench as he listening to a program, um, a PTA program, and got to meeting and talking and chatting with him. And I discovered um, he was such a lively storyteller. And I thought, now, if eighth graders could be like that, just think how successful they could be in the future if they could learn to assert themselves in that manner. I ended up going to church. I looked him up and found out where he was preaching, and, and that became my church. But it was rather the first thought of the value of the storytelling skill. The storytelling and the teaching skills are what... Uh got you this award, and again, we're talking about August of 1987, uh, and then in September of that same year, the very next month, something uh, tragic uh, happened to you. Would you tell us a little about that, please? Well, I went into the hospital for a simple surgery because I knew I was going to have a sabbatical in January uh, to travel the state to uh, continue my grant, my um, fellowship, the Kristen McCullough Fellowship. And a comedy of errors happened, and I found myself on a third surgery where my heart collapsed. I lost seven pints of blood, and I was awake in the surgery, but all that's in my book. And I knew that fellowship was so valuable in doing what I thought was going to be my life's purpose. It was like, here I am, 44 years old, and just finding this out. And I asked God to let me make it through this, and by miracle of miracles, I survived the loss of blood, and the only thing that I was without was the ability to see. I can't see anything. It's dark. Um, it's sort of muggy like the air today. <laughs> But I don't pay attention to that because, you know, God gave me a vivid imagination. And almost immediately, oh, probably two weeks later when I got out of the hospital, I told my mother, I can still go tell stories. I just know I can do this, Mom. 
because you've been handicapped all your life, and I can deal with being handicapped. And that was a word that we had bandied about as children because my mother was a double amputee. And, and we joked about it. We, we had a sense of humor in our family. And my mother said, well, Fiona, she said, you know, I've never had legs. So you don't miss something you've never had. You just get on with life. At least that was my mother's philosophy. But there she was uh, in her 60s and saying to me, but you have lost something very dear. You've lost your eyes. And I pondered that, and I didn't think so much about the loss as I thought about, will God still give me the ability to be Fiona, to do my daily living, to just keep on being myself? I think at that point in my life, I didn't even know what myself was, but it was a new journey, and I have lived life learning a lot of lessons in those 28 years I have been blind. Now, the uh, damage to the optic nerve was from the acute blood loss. Is that right? So folks can understand. In other words, when, yes. when you had this, this third surgery, uh, there was a tremendous loss of blood, and that caused this unforeseen damage to your optic nerve, uh, and you've been blind ever since. What is it you miss the most uh, from losing your sight? My freedom to make choices. I can make choices, but my choices are limited. If I want to run to the store to get a pair of pantyhose because I have a run in mine, where that really dates me, doesn't it, Doug? <laughs> or, you know, get a loaf of bread or just go out and uh, visit someone. I have to wait until another person is available to help me. And that was probably one of the hardest things for me to learn was how to accept help from others and how to be humble and thankful. I was so independent, that just wasn't in my vocabulary. Well, you have really, uh, I don't know if bounced back is the proper term, but you've really come back from this. In fact, you never really let it slow you down. Um, briefly, how do you think that sighted people, those of us who haven't had to go through this tragedy, how can we relate to what you went through? Uh, how can we even try to understand what it was? You got any insight on that? I was a storyteller. And I had to learn how to be a storyteller without being able to look at my audience. And at the time, I called on many of my storyteller friends and others who helped me with this. But I realized as I got engaged with other people, I didn't stay home. I did not want to fall in a deep depression. And the only way I could keep from doing that is to keep motivated to stay positive and be active and, and reach out. And so I was reaching out in a way of uh, I wanted to be there, and without knowing, I had to learn to say, would you help me with this? That was the really difficult thing. And I began to understand that other people 
have the same problems. One particular incident, I slipped on my stairs and just missed the bottom step. I just sat down and cried. I hadn't been blinded about a month. And I was supposed to go tell stories in front of 7,000, excuse me, <laughs> I'm getting that, oh, 700 people at an outdoor amphitheater. And I thought, how can a blind person do that? Yeah, the audience will be there. I won't be able to read the audience. Well, it was going to be dark anyway. It was Halloween. And so I had a little bit of advantage there. I could use my imagination. And I realized at that point, if I looked around at other people I knew, I could always find someone who had more trials and tribulations than I was having. I just couldn't see. But I still knew how to put on my makeup and get dressed. And I had friends that would drive me. And for about 10 years there, I was learning that lesson that God was always providing somebody in the wings that would come forward when I least expected it. So I guess the lesson you'd say to others is that that the lesson would be that there's really nothing that's too large to overcome. Listen, we're going to need to take a break here in just a second. We're listening this morning on the prologue to Fiona Page. She's bringing us the story behind her book, My Nightlife is 24-7, and we'll be back with more from Fiona in just a couple of minutes. When four members of Congress all die within four months, each of their deaths appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead revolutionary heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. His search discovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren. On Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare. But for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call. And I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose. And with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like. Hello, I'm Pat Rulo, hostess of Speak Up and Stay Alive, the voice for patient safety. Now heard every Thursday morning at 9 a.m. right here at americaswebradio.com. You're listening to americaswebradio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. 
And welcome back. We are here this morning. I'm glad you're joining us on the prologue here on America's Web Radio. Our special guest today is Fiona Page. And Fiona's been telling us about an incident, a surgical uh, mishap, I guess, or miscalculation, we'll call it, that uh, actually affected her sight. This was in 1987. Uh, she is effectively blind from this. And, Fiona, for some folks out there, and I don't really mean to be crude to anybody, but something like that happening would basically be the end of the story. But for you, it was really the beginning, wasn't it? Uh, with all that you've accomplished prior to that tragedy, you were really just getting started, and you didn't let anything slow you down. I want to go back to your background a little bit here as we proceed. Now, you taught school for several years prior to that event in 1987. What was it you taught, and what was the age group, the age level that you taught in school? Primarily, I taught fourth and then eighth grade. My principal always told me he thought I was better suited for eighth graders, and I taught uh, social studies, American history, and then that preacher I mentioned um, inspired me to teach storytelling in the classroom, and I was volunteering as a, a, a budding storyteller at the time, and my principal thought that was a great elective, and it really was a, a, a jumping-off place for children interested in drama. I discovered eighth-graders struggle so much with establishing a persona, who they are. They've, they want to be accepted. And this is something that I learned about myself at the same time. It's almost as if those five years that I taught eighth-grade storytelling, I was learning about myself. And I just think it was a journey that, you know, I had no idea I'd be blind in five years. But I was preparing this skill to continue a new life's work. And it's really fascinating to me how things work out. But I, I know I'd gone to a national conference, and the, I was coming home. That was June. And I said, you know, I think that I may even go in a new direction with my life. So I wasn't thinking so much about staying in education as speaking to groups, mainly at that time teacher groups, and to young people. I really enjoy middle school and high school. And I wasn't quite sure how I was going to do this, but my main focus was how do you attract friends? How do you make yourself available and open to other people. Well, you have to know what your gifts and talents are, and we don't automatically know that. It is a journey. And as I went to school um, myself to learn how to live with my blindness, it was popped in my head. I have lost all confidence. I feel pitiful. I am embarrassed about this case. And I have to go back to my teaching and realize eighth graders were like that. They were embarrassed. They were ashamed. They were trying to figure out how to fit in. And now Fiona Page has got to do the same thing. 
Oh, I tried it. Right, but I, I was motivated to move forward. You were a storyteller, though, before the incident in 1987. Isn't that right? Right, right. I taught okay. school for five you... years, and I had been a storyteller since, well, 82. Okay, how did you first become a storyteller? I enjoyed drama and was in a lot of plays in high school and college, and as a young mother, I missed that outlet, and I took some drama classes. And then, when I was about 40, you know, and my son was uh, getting on, I decided I just have one child, and I want to do something different. And I saw this storytelling class at Wall Fine Arts Center in Atlanta, and I took the class. I was fascinated, and I thought it was a way for me to do a, a drama, be in place in my own little play in, in my mind. And I thought, well, this will be fun. And so I started volunteering, and then I put together a business card and uh, made it a business. And I happened to be um, president of Southern Order of Storytellers at the time. And Callaway Gardens called me, and I talked to some of my um, colleagues, and I said, you know, we need to get paid for this. So well, now that's a, that brings up another question, Fiona. Where all where all would you perform as a storyteller? Where was it just in class, or did you go to group meetings, or Stone Mountain for the ghost stories, or where did you perform? I was at Callaway Gardens. I was at the National Storytelling Festival. I was at uh, the National Storytelling Institute, teaching others about how uh, I had become a storyteller and, and my journey. Um, I volunteered at Eggleston and at the Children's Hospital. I volunteered at St. Jude's. Um, I started getting opportunities to do birthday parties where I got paid. Um, I did schools. I joined Young Audiences of Atlanta, and they did all the bookings, and I went into schools for that. And then after I lost my eyesight, there was this other branch of it, Speaking, speaking about what happened to me, telling stories about um, how uh, some of the funny things that happened to me since I became blind. Can I tell you a short, funny story? Absolutely. It wasn't funny at the time, but it was funny as I told people about it. My friend took me shopping, and I wasn't in a mood to shop because I'd been blind about six months, and I said, well... I can't see the colors. I can't see. Why would I want to go shopping? Now, before that, I was the school trick teacher that dressed in costume, wore hats. My favorite uh, signature thing to wear was cowboy boots. And I loved to dress as Martha Washington and um, the Statue of Liberty in my classroom when I was teaching history. And now I was just really, you know, down on myself that particular day. And she said, well, come on, girlfriend, we're going to do it anyway. And she put my hand on um, rack clothing in a store called Pendleton's. Well, I had passed by the store but never interested, and I just thought it was a sweater store. And I said, oh, they sell 
trousers here, and I'm looking at the pants and trying to guess what colors they are. And I had been a seamstress, so I, I thought, oh, I can tell the quality of the fabric because of my experience with fabric. My mother had been a seamstress. I had learned to make my own clothes. And so I got bored very quickly with all these thoughts. So while she was paying for a purchase, I just reached out midair and thought, well, I'll just see what's over here. And I touched a leather strap, and I ran my fingers down it, and I discovered it was a purse. And I unzipped the purse, stuck my hand inside, and was further examining the purse when I realized it was on a lady's shoulder. (laughs) And she wasn't saying a word. I must have looked around frantically for my friend because, you know, I'm still thinking like I can see. And she looks up and says, oh, Fiona, that's not me. I said, I know. Get me out of here quick. And I had touched a set of car keys, and I flipped the keys and said to the lady, oh, I'm blind, and now I have car keys, and I can't even drive. I mean, it just came to me instantly, and I thought maybe she would laugh, and we'd get through this faux pas, this embarrassing moment, with a big laugh, and she'd say something to me. She didn't say a word. Well, Teresa (laughs) grabbed my arm and pulled me out of the store, and we sat down right outside to absorb all this and just started dying laughing. I'm glad it turned out where you could laugh about it. Now, you mentioned that... I said, what was wrong with this lady? Why didn't she say something? She said, no, no. You don't look blind. And I said, oh, I don't. He said, no, she probably thought you were trying to steal her car. What an experience, but it sure brought home I'm, I'm sure it was. You mentioned that the storytelling led to speaking, talking to folks about it. Are you still doing the storytelling? Are there any of your stories that you've recorded? I know a lot of the stand-up storytellers will actually make, you know, record CDs or whatever of their stories. Did you do that, and are you still telling stories? I um, first was asked to talk about what happened to me, and you can't do that when you're newly blind. So I would just use the stories of funny things that had happened to me whenever I was still doing young audiences. And in the 90s, uh, I was doing more and more speaking and it became a motivational speech. Now I use personal stories uh, to uh, intersperse with my speaking, and as you know, I I want to motivate others through my book that there's nothing too big or too small you can't do if you really set your mind to it. Absolutely. You know, we've gone through almost two sections. We've got another break coming up here real quick. We haven't told the folks yet where they can find your book. Uh, I know there's two. We'll get into that in a minute. But basically right now, My Nightlife is 24-7. Where can people find this book, Fiona? I have it on my website on audio. I'm working on um, getting it ready for audible.com. But right now they can purchase it. Fiona at FionaPage.com. That's the quickest way to get a signed copy of the book and a little gift 
and you can also get it on Amazon. It's on Kindle with Amazon. It's on Book Nook with Barnes and Noble, and I have um, audio stories that I have put out at the Okefenokee Swamp Park about my Okefenokee stories. Outstanding. Well, we're coming up on that break. Folks, this is Doug Dahlgren. I'm here with the prologue on America's Web Radio, and we're going to be back with Fiona Page after these short messages. Yeah, uh, we're supposed to be on break. Oh, you're not sure? I'm not hearing it. When four members of Congress all die within four months, each of their deaths appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead revolutionary heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. His search discovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren. On Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF, a nonprofit organization, is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government, as well as those involved in legal cases, have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And welcome back again. We are here with Fiona Page on the prologue. My name's Doug Dahlgren. I'm glad you're with us this morning. We were just talking to Fiona about what she's learned from being blind and what she's been able to try to express to other people about setbacks and how to overcome them. Um, Most of us haven't had to experience what Fiona has, but everybody has a setback. Everybody has that time that they feel their life is just crumbled beneath them. And we're talking with a lady this morning that has really uh, made the most of a situation and really gone steps forward to not only help herself but to others. Fiona, we were talking before the break about where folks can find My Nightlife is 24-7, You also have another book out. It's called Bettina the Bold. Tell us a little bit about it and and which one came first, Bettina or My Nightlife? My Nightlife came first. It had several different titles, and I started it in 1990 when I lost my uh, voice and could not tell stories for about three months. And so as my vocal cords were healing, 
I started working on that book and uh, worked on it for several years. And the, the Bettina book was inspired by my grandchildren. They were ages five and eight at the time. And I was trying to think of a way that I could use my skills to encourage little ones. And one night, about 2 o'clock in the morning, the idea came to me, and I sat down and wrote the story. I just couldn't believe it. It just wrote itself. told the grandchildren about it the next night, and they said, Bettina the Bold, she has learned how to make friends. And that's what we have to do. And I thought, wow, how insightful of my 8-year-old grandson, Ethan. And definitely my 5-year-old granddaughter, Helen, needs to learn how to slow down and calm down and and make friends. So the book is about teaching manners. And a bat um, comes to the rescue of this blind butterfly who isn't aware she's blind. And she's pretty disgusted about it because she bumps into a lot of things. Very much like me, I realized after I showed it to some of my friends, and they said, Fiona, this is your story. You were always bumping into things, and I still do, and uh, getting aggravated about it, but moving on. And that's how Bettina was born. Now, can that be found uh, the same way, uh, going to your website? Yes, it's on Amazon, too. It's on um Barnes & Noble. It's in both places. I haven't put it on Kindle yet, but um, my printing company, Book Logics, um, they're a wonderful group of people, and they print my books for Seascape Press, which is my own publishing company. And they are working with me on getting uh, my next book out. Ah, well, we want to ask you about that in just a little bit here, but we want, to, we want to kind of build to that, if you'll let me. Now, you have been quoted as saying, and this is a quote, you didn't really have time to grieve over the loss of your eyesight. Now, that resolve and determination that you have uh, possibly was inherited. You've alluded to your mother a little earlier this morning. Uh, tell us more about her and what she went through and what resolve you may have inherited through her. My mother was born with little crooked feet and not the proper bones in her lower legs, so she crawled um, until she was 13. And then she said to her mother, now they had been to many doctors trying to find out if if they could do bone grafting and what they could do, but that was 1924 when she was 13, and there still was no hope for that. But her mother did a little research and discovered Warm Springs, and Dr. Michael Hoke had developed uh, prosthetics for um, people that were in World War One. And my mother, at 14, got her first set of artificial wooden legs. Her little stumps, um, her other legs were cut off, and her little stumps healed, and they put them in the legs. And she stood for the first time in her life. And my mother now you never just, stopped. You just kind of went past that. But can you imagine the courage that a 14-year-old, to have that first step of the process, having those stumps removed, 
can you just even imagine what that took fortitude-wise to, to do that? It's just, it's just amazing to me. Especially at that age, in 1926, people who were uh, disabled were considered um, sort of second-class citizens, sometimes even freaks. Her father said, um, you can't go to college when she graduated with honors in high school and had a scholarship. He said, you're, you're handicapped. We take care of our own. Well, amazingly, my mother went to college by hitchhiking to a nearby town, and she ended up teaching at the business college. And she actually, in just a few short years, was taking care of her father. Isn't that amazing? Oh, my goodness. That is absolutely amazing. Now, you made a leap from storytelling and teaching. And, of course, now, folks, uh, Fiona is blind at this point in 2011. But you made the step to write a book. Uh, the first one is the one we're talking about, My Nightlife is 24-7. What inspired you? What is it that prompted you to take on this monumental task of writing a book? Well... I was getting on in years. Uh, I felt like there were so many interesting things that had happened to me, and I, my inspiration was my grandchildren, because I knew my children nor my grandchildren cared right now. I was grandma, you know, and I was blind, and they accepted that, and they didn't even know too much about all the things I had done with storytelling and the things I was motivated by and passionate about. So I thought they needed to know, and about the only way you can influence your children's children is to write a book, even if it never gets published and it's just in print at home. And that's what I started out to do. It ended now, up what, being published. <laughs> well, absolutely, it had to be. Uh we have a lot of writers that listen to our program as well as, as readers. Uh, tell us, technically, how did you accomplish this? A lot of recording devices. What process did you use to write this book? Well, I have a, a computer that um, talks when I type in the words, and I was a good typist. In fact, I'm much better now. And I learned to use uh, JAWS, Job Access for Windows, which had been developed some 28 years ago. And I started writing, and my friend um, motivated me to uh, get it edited. And, and she, in fact, she learned how to edit. She started copy editing my book. And it was a long process because not being able at that point to have this world of computers, because I was very much a novice at that time. We're talking, you know, way back in 87 when I first started writing down on my computer. I got a computer fairly early. And I kept telling myself, well, I don't know how to use the Internet. It was so new at that time. And I didn't know how to reach out to other people. So I started setting aside some money to make sure it was edited properly. I had several editors. And I thought, I'm just going to have to self-publish this book because I'm getting, I think by that time I was 65, 
and I thought, you know, I don't have time to write to publishers. And the world of publishing was changing, so. And so I created my own publishing company. I had a couple of people that helped me. And it was just trial and error, mainly. And a lot of money spent that I really didn't have to spend because I, I learned things as I went along about doing this. I had a, a, a visually impaired editor of the Bettina book. I have a song that goes along with that book, and and this is a very famous um, blind musician and music therapist, and, and he composed the music, wrote the lyrics. It just seemed people were just coming to help me somehow, and then I discovered Book Logic, which was a place to print. So that's how it all came about, going to some classes at Book Logic, learning about marketing. And well, very good. Amazon. Well, we're proud that you did, and I've got to ask you, what specific? Every author has something that they hope that the reader will take away from their book. What What is the takeaway that you hope your readers will get from My Nightlife is twenty four seven? I think life is a journey. And it's very difficult to keep focused on a purpose. But as things happen, if we learn to reflect and make decisions in little steps of where we want to go in this life, because I really believe there's nothing too great that we can't at least learn from and move forward and be a better person. And in the meantime, maybe even help someone else. That's a very noble, noble thought there. Listen, we know you're working on another book. I want you to tease. We're getting ready to go into another break, but tease the folks with the title of the new book you're working on. (laughs) Um, Don't follow me. I'm blonde. Don't follow me. I'm blonde. B-O-L-E-D. Excellent. Very good. Well, title. That's the working title. All right. All right. Well, we want to. Okay. Well, we want to hear more about that when we come back. But right now, I'm assuming it'll be available the same site that your other books. Give the folks that uh, website again, where they can contact you and order the books. Fiona, F-I-O-N-A, page P-A-G-E dot com. And I'm also on Facebook, so you can see my professional page on Facebook, theonapage.author. All right, so we have on there, we've got Patina the Bold, we've got My Nightlife is 24-7, and coming soon, Don't Follow Me, I'm Blonde. Folks, this, this is great. We are going to be back with more from Fiona. We're going to learn about that new book when we come back uh, right after these messages. When four members of Congress all die within four months, each of their deaths appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead revolutionary heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. His search discovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren. 
on Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com. This is Daryl Pullis inviting you to listen to America's Homegrown Veggie Show right here every Saturday morning at 10 Eastern Time. Great guests, great tips, and valuable information about growing your own vegetables, fruits, and herbs. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctors' conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. And good morning again. Welcome back to the prologue. We've had an absolute pleasure this morning. We've got author Fiona Page with us. Her main book is My Night Life is 24-7, and there's a real serious reason for that title. This is Dr. Susan Blank. Fiona became blind as a young adult, and that didn't slow her down. The book was written after the incident that created her blindness, and she's been sharing with us what all she's done prior to that and since that. And, uh, Fiona, as we went into the break, you were telling us about a new book with a, a, a kind of a cute title to it. Tell us again what that is, and tell us a little bit about what you're working on there, please. Don't follow me. I'm blonde. And with my southern accent, I've really had to work on saying blonde, not blind. And this book is going to be humorous because it's going to include some of the wacky things about me before I became blind and how the thread of the story continues as strange and funny and unusual things happen to me in my journey. Um, It is a working title. I welcome any comments after this interview. Please contact me at Fiona at FionaPage.com because I want to know that there's somebody out there that's listening and have some ideas about uh, what they think this book might be about. I've got 47 stories, and when I write, I write in a collection of stories, and then I have to go back and put the, the thread or the stepping stone between each story so there's a connection and I came up with this title recently because I want to see the just the people to see that you can find humor and lessons in the painful things that happen to you. My mother did that in her own life. We always joked about she liked to pull people's legs. And that was a comment to start a joke. So my nightlife is 24-7 was kind of a scary title. I didn't know how people would react to it because they would think, oh, my gosh, you know, what's that going to be about? Well, it's about the trials and tribulations of being blind. But... I was a person before I became blind who was into herself and her children and her teaching, and I loved kids, and I did not read. 
I just play acted. Once I was brought to my knees with this tragic accident or traumatic accident, I had to learn so much about living life that I want to share that. And, and my, my faith that I didn't even know I had, I was pretty skeptical, I can tell you. By the time I was 40, I was divorced. I was unhappy about that. Uh, I was frustrated. And now I was losing my career. And all this process brought me to realize what a stronger faith I had than I really mm-hmm. knew. You mentioned earlier you told us a little bit about the purse story, which kind of a antidote uh, to what can happen. But the reality is dealing with us sighted people can be a challenge all unto itself. Uh, you've got a couple other stories, I know, uh, some that are in your book. Would you mind telling us a little bit more about maybe, say, the restaurant situation? <laughs> I went to uh, Savannah to visit a uh, high school classmate that I hadn't seen since I was blind and it was an interesting experience because, you know, since I can't see, I can't read body language. And body language is so much of how we communicate. And being a storyteller, I had learned in a classroom that 67% of what you perceive, you perceive through people's uh, tone of voice and their body language. And all I had left was tone of voice. And I'm sitting there in the restroom. She took me to a well, a famous uh, seafood restaurant, and she didn't know how to read the menu to me, or, or how, she didn't want to embarrass me, or you know, how do you handle uh, the situation with someone who's disabled? Well, I was by that time I was in the speakers association, and I was already learning that even speakers were struggling with how to approach someone who was blind. And as in my travels, I would see how people who were speakers who were in a wheelchair overcame that. You had to make the wheelchair dissolve, go away. And I was trying to do this with my own classmate that I hadn't had contact with in 20-some-odd years. So she and I are both trying to communicate, and, and she whispers to me about the shrimp on the menu, and I thought, well, that'll be easy. She won't have to greet up the whole menu. So I said, yes, that'll be fine. And when the waitress came up, you know, as in the pocketbook story, I look up at the person, and my eyes are directed and my ears are directed to where her voice was coming from. And I said, I'll have the shrimp, please. And she brought the shrimp back shortly. <clears throat> and I'm asking... Um, Emily something, and Emily's trying to figure out, okay, the shrimp is at 6 o'clock. The waitress is standing there taking in all this, and she says, Honey, you ain't never seen shrimp before? And that kind of shocked me because I thought she realized I was blind. I walked in with a cane, and uh, she... I looked up at her rather startled, and I said, I'm blind. Both of us were shocked (laughs) at that moment. 
And she says, oh, I'm so sorry. And then I had to get over that because I had to figure out how to make her feel more comfortable. <clears throat> and I said, that's okay. And she says, you know, when she came back and brought me my coffee, she said, a lot of people come from up north, and they've never been on the coast before, and they haven't ever seen shrimp before. And I've had people ask, what is this? I guess she was making an excuse. And we all laughed about it, but you know what? I didn't get a free dessert. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, us, us, sighted, <clears throat> us sighted people do have a habit of prejudging exactly how to act around yeah. folks with handicaps, particularly those who can't see. We don't know how to behave or what to do. Uh, it, there's well, we learn to laugh about it, you know. Well, yeah, it's just prejudices. We all prejudge situations, and we have to learn how to overcome them. That's that's just it. You alluded to your faith there uh, a few minutes ago. Uh, that played a very large part in your journey. Is there anything more that you want to say to the listeners this morning about your faith and how important that is to you? I read the book Tuesdays with Maury, sat in the bathtub reading it and contemplating I was at a very low point ending my life. And I begged Jesus to appear before me. And you just can't be, I've learned this, you can't be God. You can't command, okay, God, this is what I need. Come forward. And it didn't happen. I stayed up all night long looking for this image just to appear, trying to make it happen. And then I read somewhere. And I don't remember if it was in scripture or book I read because I loved to read. And I, and I never read before I became blind. Now I read all the time. I read two or three books on Audible a month, sometimes more. And these are where my lessons came from. And this lesson was, you have to wait for God's time for things to happen. You don't command what's going to happen to you. You have to sit back and say, I'm in this with you, Lord. And little bits and pieces came to me, and I even began to hear that still, small voice that was always there, but I couldn't hear it for all the other things going on in my life, all the clamoring, all the, you know, just, we have so much information we're, that is thrown at us. And unless we learn to be quiet and pay attention, and that's been another lesson I've learned. And so I thought in writing this new book, I wanted to include humor. I wanted to um, dangle something funny in front of folks so they could see the humorous side of my journey. And then they would see the things I've learned. Helen Keller says, and I paraphrase, there's something worse than being blind. It's being a sighted person without vision. And I think that's one of the messages that God has given well, that, Absolutely. That leads us to this next question I've got here. We're getting ready to wind things up. Uh, First and foremost, Fiona Page is a teacher. That's where you started, and you still are, really. What message do you have for teachers who are out there today? 
I think they need, I think each teacher needs to examine what's best about her or him and give that to their classroom. You don't teach subject matter. You teach children a way of life. And they need that more than ever today. Very good. I need you to tell us one more time, where can they find Fiona Page's books? On Amazon, on Kindle, on Booknook, Barnes & Noble. But for a special gift, contact me at Fiona. Let me start again. Fiona at FionaPage.com. And I have the books here and I can get them out quickly, signed by me. Love to hear from you. Please contact me and tell me your story. Fiona, is there anything you need to add before we shut it down for this morning? Mm, I can't think of anything. How about you? Well, this has just been a, I wish we had more time, but goodness sakes, it's such a deep story and so much to talk about. We just can't fit everything in. It's been a, an absolute pleasure and an honor to have you here today. I want you to know that. Folks, you have been introduced. You've had your prologue to Fiona Page and her books, primarily My Nightlife is 24-7, and now the ball is in your court. I want you to follow up, look her up on the website, go to Amazon if need be, but order those books. You will be amazed with this story and the tone that it's written in. So please get out there and order it today. And I thank you all for being with us and listening to the prologue. I hope that you'll tell your friends about the show and how they can listen in to any of the past programs on the archive section. And if you or anyone else would like to be a guest, please email me. That's at Doug at AmericasWebRadio.com or Doug at DougDalvin.com. I'd love to hear from you. Now, thanks for listening today. For my guest this hour, Fiona Page, and myself, we say behave yourselves and read a book. If not Fiona's, maybe one of mine. And I'll see you all again in just 167 hours. Take care now. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.